Okay. I unmuted it. I think I did. Yeah. Okay. It's good to see everybody smiling faces this morning. And um, we want to welcome you to uh, Wisdom Seeker Sunday School class. Um, uh, my name is Nancy, and I will be bringing the lesson today. And I've titled this lesson, Cast Me Not Away From Thy Presence. And um, because that is the cry of all of our hearts, we never want to be um, those who would not want to be um, away from the face of God or um, His ways or His invitation to know Him. We always, we are those who go after Him. And um, we want to partner with him, so we don't ever want him to cast us away from his presence. Um, but the title could have just as well been um, named um, Separated from His Presence, because I'm going to uh, talk about several who actually chose to leave the presence of God. And um, so it could have very well been titled uh, Separated from His Presence. But... Um, Cast Me Not Away From His Presence is the title of this morning. And uh, it's, it comes from a very familiar psalm, Psalm 51, which we all know. And um, I don't know this, but I would think that it might be um, as much quoted as Psalm 23. Uh, maybe not, but it's, but it's that familiar that you know, everybody quotes Psalm 23, but I think everybody knows this passage as well. And, um, however, uh, the passage is much more than a contrite prayer for pardon for what David did. Um, this, this Psalm of David was when Nathan, Nathan the prophet came to him after he had gone into Bathsheba, and that's what it's mostly uh, known for or known that it's that's what this passage is known to be about but it's much more than just a contrite prayer um, for pardon for what David had done his prayer was much deeper than what we just read on the surface because remember he was a man after God's own heart and God had chosen David to be king over Israel and so David's prayer was much deeper than, than what it seems on the surface. Um, when I read this psalm, and, and I read these words, cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me, I can almost hear a desperation in David. Um, because I think any one of us here in this room um, if we ever felt like we were going to be separated from his presence, I think every one of us in this room and in the network would have that desperation. So I can almost hear that in David's voice when he says, don't cast me away from your presence, Lord, and, um, and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. And um, if you'll recall Pastor's message a few weeks back or probably even a couple months back, um, We remember that um, that teaching was an in-depth study about what it means when, when David said, Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. 
he, we learned from that teaching that take there, um, take, and take not your Holy Spirit from me, means to be taught or to be trained by the Holy Spirit. And so David was saying to God, don't stop teaching me um, from your Holy Spirit or by your Holy Spirit. Don't stop training me. So he was asking to be a student of the Holy Spirit and to be taught and to be trained by him. And we know, we know what that's like because that, that's who our teacher is and that's who we're being trained by. And um, if you didn't hear that message, I would strongly encourage everybody to go back and listen. And if you did hear it, I would encourage you to go back and listen again because it was full of so much meat. And um, if you're like most people and if you're like me, um, sometimes it takes hearing things over more than just one time, but hearing it over and over again. And I, I realize every time I've listened to it that I glean something different and um, something more. And you know, when, you're, when you hear a teaching and a, a new revelation and your spirit bears witness with it, sometimes it still takes that extra listening or extra hearing to get it to stick. And um, you know, sometimes we have to, um, to hear it over and over. And we know that hearing, uh, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. And if you don't get it the first time, just keep chewing on it. You know, the, this house re receives a lot of strong meat. And um, and and you know the Lord, we're a privileged people um, to have the pastor that we have, and the revelation that the Lord delivers to him. Um, we're such a privileged people, and um, and why you know why does God pour that revelation into this house? Why is that? It's because. Um, it's because it, he's, he's been so gracious to us because all those many years ago, we said yes. We said yes to the calling of the saints. And what that meant was saying no to the world. We, we pretty much gave up our ambitions for anything in the carnal world um, because our hearts were touched and God had, had just given us that hunger to go after him and just disregard the things of the world. And that's what, for so many years, that's how we operated. And um, of course, you know, you grow over the years and you learn that you can, okay, I can take care of this thing in the world, but we don't let that become a part of who we are. We know who we are in God. And, um, we, we gave up our pursuit for carnal things, for the pneumaticos things. And I, I know that everyone in this room, and I know everyone in the network, would never regret having answered yes to this call and um, for pneumaticos things. But um, if we don't understand 
the strong meat that we received uh, the first go around. Um, we just need to hear it again and again and just keep chewing on it until we get it. And um, did you know that there are, there are some people who will chew their food like 20 or 30 times because for some, it's a fear of choking. 70 for Scott. 70 for Scott. <laughs> and if you've ever choked on something, that, that's understandable. That's just water. Um, but, you know, and, but for others, it's because they want the food to digest quicker. <coughs> you know, they, the longer they chew it, the more it's, you know, um, when they do swallow, it'll digest easier. And that's why some people uh, chew so many times. I, I, I've heard that Gomer Pyle was one of those that chewed and chewed and chewed and chewed. Golly. So I guess my point is that if we um, don't understand something the first time, we need to just keep meditating on the word that God releases in this house and just keep meditating until it sinks into our spirits and it's a part of who we are. Um, because we don't want to be, we don't want the Lord to, to release to us revelation and then we be dull of hearing. We don't want that. So, um, you know, sometimes I'll hear something and, and, and my, it'll, my spirit will receive it, but I'm having to really think to, to really understand and to get it into my mind the, because we're supposed to have the mind of the Lord. That's how we operate is with the mind of the Lord. And so, but sometimes it takes a few hearings for me to, to actually, for it to sink in. I know sometimes I'm a little late to the party, but I eventually get there. So um, it just might take a while. Um, this habit <laughs> but yeah yeah um, so last week Liz sang a prophetic song in worship and the words some of the words were don't let my mind hold me back and um, according to Romans 8 7 our minds are at enmity with God and if we will if we're not careful Everything that's going on inside our heads will drown out what the Lord is trying to speak. And um, so we need not let our minds stand in the way. And it's up to us, the Word says, to take captive every thought to the obedience of Christ and, um, and cast down imaginations and every high thing that would exalt itself against the knowledge of God. And... We know in our world today, we hear it in the, in the news and uh, hear it among conversations, um, there's a lot of, uh, of high things that are trying to exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. I mean, it's just very apparent um, when you hear uh, things in the news and the things that are taking place. Um, but the Bible says that our, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty through God to this pulling down of strongholds, and that includes in our minds. And that is why we need to have the mind of Christ, and we need to move in the mind of Christ. 
Um, it's been said before, and this, and I'll say it again. <laughs> the revelation that God releases in this house is uh, more than phenomenal. It's it's a treasure, but it's a treasure that um, can't be bought, and it only it can only be released. From the spirit and it can only it's released from God's spirit into our spirit and um, it's not for us only it's not just for this house it's for the network and it's for all those to whom God sends us um, this word treasure in the New Testament is uh, the sorrows where we get our word thesaurus and we all know this um, and it denotes a storehouse or a place in which um, precious things are collected and kept. And God's word and his revelation of his word are those precious and valuable things to his people and to his saints. And, um, and so those things are a treasure to us. And um, what an honor it is to be entrusted by the Lord with so much revelation. And, um, you know, sometimes I think, do we really understand what we have? Do we really see what God has, has given us? Um, do we realize the, what it is that he's given us? Um, so moving on to our lesson. Um, beginning with verse 1 of Psalm 51. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned, and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, and a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. So David was um, saying, you know, 
God, don't reject me from your face. Don't deprive me from knowing the depths of who you are. Uh, don't deprive me from your ways, and don't deny me the opportunity of participating in a partnership with your Holy Spirit and with your holiness. And quoting from Pastor's teaching, um, the essence of holiness is taking something that is undeveloped and seeing it come into function, fulfilling the purpose of God. And this is what David's heart wanted, and this is the desire of the hearts of the saints. And, um, and that is how we want to function. So um, now I want to take a look at these uh, individuals who chose to escape the presence of the Lord or to leave the presence of the Lord. And the first one being Adam and Eve. Um, <coughs> excuse me, my throat's dry. Um, beginning in Genesis 3, <clears throat> starting with verse 6. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, <clears throat> Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, the Lord said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee, <clears throat> that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. So up to this point, Adam and Eve were in perfect commune with God, and they were in partnership with his plan <clears throat> for the earth. And um, until it was until they were deceived by the enemy. So now there was that broken commune. <clears throat> and then we come to Cain. <clears throat> Beginning in Genesis 4, starting with verse 8. And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass, when they were hid in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. And the Lord Yahweh, the plan of God, said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And he, the Lord, said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother, brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground, and now art thou cursed? from the earth, and which, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from the, thy hand. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto her, unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. So because of Adam and Eve's disobedience, 
God sent them forth from the Garden of Eden to till the ground which God had cursed. And now, in addition to the ground being cursed because of Adam and Eve's disobedience, Cain would till the ground, but it would not yield its strength or its substance. And so it was like a, a curse upon a curse for Cain. And <clears throat> continuing in, in verse 13, And Cain said unto the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, thou hast driven me out this day from the face of the earth, and thy, from thy face shall I be hid, and I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth, and it shall come to pass that every one that findeth me shall slay me. So, apparently by this time the population of the earth had multiplied um, because, because Cain said that um, whoever finds me is going to slay me. So, uh, these whoever's had to have been uh, you know, some that had um, by this time populated the earth. So it wasn't just Adam and Eve, Cain and Seth and Abel. Um, it had now grown to a multitude. And in verse 15, And the Lord said unto him, Therefore whosoever slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. And this word uh, for mark is, it's spelled O-T, um, and it's the Hebrew word pronounced oath. And I suspect this is where we get our word oath um, from. And in Exodus um, 12, verse 13, it's translated as token, which says, and the blood shall be for you to you for a token upon the houses where ye are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you <clears throat> when I smite the land of Egypt. So the Lord had set uh, this token upon the houses, and he had also set this uh, mark or this oath upon Cain that nobody would destroy him if you know they came upon him because they were aware of of, of what he had done. So continuing with uh, verse 16. And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. And Nod here uh, means wandering. And, you know, when a person walks away from the presence of the Lord, he's walking away uh, from his ways. He's walking away from his face. He's walking away from that invitation to partner with him uh, in his plan for the earth. And when a person wanders away from, from that, from that presence, then they wander aimlessly without, um, without purpose until there's a repenting and a turning back to God. Then verse 17 says, And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bare Enoch. And he, Cain, builded a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. <clears throat> and what's interesting to me about verse 17 is that even though Cain went out from the presence of the Lord, even though he chose to leave God's presence, his firstborn Enoch walked with God. And Enoch's name means dedicated. 
and maybe Cain dedicated him to the Lord. We don't know that. We don't read that in Scripture. Um, but we do know from Scriptures that Enoch himself was dedicated to God and in, in so much of a way that he walked with God and was no more um, because God took him. Uh, can you imagine that one day you're walking the earth and you're walking and communing with the Lord and then just the next thing you know, you're in heaven with God communing. And um, that'd be a pretty awesome thing, I think. Um, I'm all in. Oh, you're all in. But Genesis 5.24 says, And Enoch walked with God and was not, for God took him. And this word for took here is the same word as take in Psalm 51 in the phrase, Take not your Holy Spirit from me, that we referenced earlier. Um, and that was the focus of pastor's teaching. Um, so it, it made me wonder if in this uh in Genesis 5:24, that says God took him, took Enoch. Could God took him be interpreted to mean that Enoch was uh, taught of God and um, and trained of God? And I, I think probably it can. And it's just that his uh, lifelong teaching just carried on into heaven. And um, I, I just think that's a pretty Awesome thing. <clears throat> yes. It's making me think about how many times uh, we hear someone say, "Well, my father was like this, and it's driven it's driven me to be the kind of bad person I am." Or my mother did that, and I'm bad because of her. Or and we people begin to blame their iniquities, their problems, their behavior upon their parents. When actually the third person came, right. raised a child that was completely the opposite of Cain, and Cain may have dedicated his life after he was removed, you know. Mm -hmm. But um, it just shows that God is such a personal God that doesn't matter about the parents. Right. I, you just, you wonder <coughs> how many times we just get people to read that little segment. <laughs> what a difference that would make in people's lives. Yeah, because that, psychologists and yeah, psychiatrists have gotten rich off of people who oh, blamed yeah. the parent. Yeah. And, and your father gave you a look or gave you a whipping or gave you a, and that destroys their life and God's third story or fourth story maybe was about how that doesn't matter as far as a relationship between you and God mm -hmm. and I think that's what a lot of people in the church today miss Yes, they go and they hear but they don't apply and they don't um, develop that relationship with God and um, so they just found the merry go around and blame. Yeah. 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 So that's what And he really is the only one that can bring enlightenment. Right. To those and bring healing to it because you know, what you do experience is part of what your psyche is as an adult. I mean you 
you based all of your opinions on the experience. <laughs> you you developed all the ways that you you know function based on the things that you learned when you were growing up. So right. Yeah, that experience does in part bring you to where you are, but God is the one who can change all of that. And that's obviously, I think the path that we have as children is part of our adulthood because God uses those experiences to bring us to the point of our fulfillment in Him. Mm -hmm. It's all part of that journey. And, and too, you know, things that affect us when we're growing up, I mean, it happens to everybody, yeah. all of us. But, you know, um, we get to the point where we, we just let the Lord, we ask the Lord and we allow him to take those things that were negative and, and turn it for the good, you know, when we're following his purpose. And he does that to us or for us. You ask yourself, who, who taught Enoch what was right and wrong? Yeah. I mean, was it Cain? Maybe. Maybe. Was it the wife, the mother? Somehow God continued that relationship that he wanted. Yeah, somehow God got to, you know, yeah. reach Enoch's heart because, you know, he he was dedicated, his name, like I said, his name means dedicated, and he was dedicated to God, and how did he become right. that way? And usually um, the father would name the child. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And even built a city after him. Yeah. And um, so it's, it's a good, thank you for raising that point Dennis I think it comes to, it, it always comes down with God to relationship and God is so faithful in relationship with us as we person you know draw near to me and I will draw near to you and it's like that you know being in relationship with him the closer we get to him the more our hearts desire to be like him mm -hmm. and the more we open our heart to say search me O Lord and, and you know and try me and see if there's any wicked way in me, which was another one of David. Well, that was, yeah, in part of the psalm. So, you know, I'm. that's one of the things I'm so thankful about this walk that we're walking and the whole as saints because it's so grounded in relationship. I mean, but in the midst of that relationship, God is so faithful to draw us and to open our hearts so that we are saying, search me. Even if, I mean, that's, our prayer directive for this week, for part of this week, is going to be that because we have to deal with our stuff, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And if there's any measure of bitterness or offense or anything that's deep down in there, it's it's always the time to deal with it. Mm -hmm. So he, he's just so faithful. He is, and like you said, you know, it's what we enjoy so much is that relationship and um, our obedience to the word and the things that he tells us you know that's that's we're happy to do that because of our relationship with him it's it's not just a, a book of do's and don'ts or a, a book of rules um, it, it all plays into our relationship to him and, and we're, you know, more than willing to, to abide by who he tells us to be in his word. And um, so somehow Enoch got that. Yeah. And, I mean, uh, you can just see, Daddy, why do you have that mark and nobody else does? Mm -hmm. You know, 
Yeah. So. That's super interesting about the blood too, about the blood being the, the token or the oath on the doorpost mm -hmm. that like you cut one. Because I mean, I think about communion. We have communion this morning, and isn't there a passage about communion that says, "Examine me"? Mm -hmm. I mean that the fellowship that we have at His table, which we get to partake of today, is so precious and so powerful, and it really just provides everything that we need to deal with whatever whatever there. Would keep us from His presence. Yeah, which is and and that and that's our our. Our prayer, you know, is whatever's there that might hinder me from uh, taking advantage of the opportunity that has been presented to us to partner with Him. Whatever's there, you know, Lord, we want it removed. And um, so, thank you guys for those insights. Um, So next we have, um, oh, and one other thing, you know, Cain pleaded not guilty to the murder of Abel, um, and there we didn't, we don't read of any expression of sorrow or regret, and we don't read anywhere that he ever asked forgiveness for what he had done. But maybe he did. We just don't read about it. Um, <clears throat> so then next we have Jonah. And Jonah fled from the presence of the Lord. So in Hebrew, um, Jonah's name means dove. And we know as saints that that is uh, the representation of sonship. So beginning in jo Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of... I listened to this on the thing. Amate, I think is how he said it. And it, this, the son of Amate, or Tai, Amatai, and Amatai is Hebrew for truth or truth telling. Um, so the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amatai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa. And he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. That's hard for me to say, Tarshish. Um, so the book of Jonah was written by Jonah himself, and he's making it very clear that he's fleeing the presence of the Lord. He says it twice here in this, in this passage. And in, beginning in verse 4, But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. Um, that kind of sounds like a, a teenage girl talking. <laughs> the ship was like to be broken. Um, then verse 5, Then the mariners were afraid, and cried every man unto his God, and cast forth the waters that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship, and he lay and was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God. 
if so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. Now this word for sleeper is radam, and it means to be in a deep sleep, but it also has the meaning of being deaf or stopped up. And so Jonah was turning a deaf ear to what God had called him to do. He was turning a deaf ear to the plan of God because it was God's plan for him to go to Nineveh. And continuing in verse 7, And they said every one to his fellow, Come and let us cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell upon Jonah. And they said unto him, Tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us. What is thine <coughs> occupation, and whence comest thou? What is thy country, and of what people art thou? And he said unto them, I am an Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, and the, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. Then were the men exceedingly afraid, and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then said they unto him, What shall we do unto thee, that the sea may be calm unto us? For the sea wrought and was tempestuous. And he said unto them, Take me up and cast me forth into the sea, so shall the sea be calm for you. For I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring it to the land, but they could not, for the sea was wrought and was tempestuous against them. Wherefore they cried unto the Lord and said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not upon us innocent blood. For thou, O Lord, hast done this, hast done as it pleased thee. So they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord, and made vows. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. <coughs> so Nineveh, I believe it's located in modern-day Iraq, um, but it was the cap back then it was the capital of Assyria, and they, the city of Nineveh was known as a fearsome society. Once they defeated a city, they were known to torture their captives. Um, they even used mutilation as a tactic to warn uh, countries who might uh, want to go to war with them. Um, they would cut out people's tongues. So they were a, a, a people to be feared. Um, so when God commanded Jonah to go there and to prophesy against these people, um, it was at a time when the power of the Assyrian Empire was resurgent and they posed a threat to Israel. And um, so from an Israelite standpoint, the Assyrians in Nineveh were to be hated, not only to be feared, but they were to be hated. They hated them. And so it was for this reason that Jonah was unwilling to go into Nineveh and to speak to these people. He, he, he had hoped rather that God would just destroy them. And um, I have to confess that there are certain groups in the world today, and I'm like, God, just destroy them. <laughs> yeah, we're calling them on fire from heaven. <laughs> but, um, so Jonah fled from the presence of the Lord. He fled from um, 
that part that opportunity to partner with God to um, bring this city around to 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 believing in God and um, so he fled from the presence of the Lord and verse 3 says he rose up to flee unto Tarshish now Tarshish was as far away as Jonah could go in the opposite direction uh, to, to get away from God's calling it was his attempt to escape the will of God Nineveh was about 500 miles east of Jonah's home in northern Israel and that's about as far as from Dallas to up into Missouri or Kansas that would be the distance um, but then um, Tarshish so Nineveh was 500 miles east Tarshish was 2,500 miles west so um, so Jonah uh, west from his home so that's the route that's the direction he chose to go and um, but we see that God was giving Jonah the opportunity to partner with his ways and with his plan for for the city and but he was he was unwilling to go and so he eventually did go to Nineveh as we know um, after a little bit of encouragement <coughs> from God and a fish a little bit of persuasion and um, and Nineveh, Nineveh repented which also displeased Jonah um, and it could have possibly been because his own people would not repent they were you know they were living the way they were and you know even in John 4 uh, it says that even Jesus testified himself that a prophet has no honor in his own home <clears throat> or in his own country and so the people of Israel wouldn't listen to their prophets and so God says well go over here to Nineveh and I want them to listen but um, so maybe that's why uh, Jonah was displeased when they did repent <clears throat> because of his own people and then um, Jonah says in uh, chapter 3 verse 10 and God saw their works that they turned from their evil way and God repented of the evil that he had said he would do unto them and he did it not <clears throat> so the repentance of the people of Nineveh uh, postponed the destruction of their city for roughly 150 years and so Jonah was furious with God uh, for being so gracious and so merciful toward Nineveh and now um, Nineveh would continue for another 150 years before they were destroyed um, <clears throat> and you know back then people lived hundreds of years so um, did Jonah live in bitterness towards God for hundred the next hundred and fifty years because of God's grace and mercy towards Nineveh I don't know I don't know how long Jonah lived but um, but still he was he was you could tell he was kind of bitter about it all and in the fourth chapter of Jonah we read about him quarreling with God over the fact that Nineveh had repented and in chapter 4 verse 1 um, it says but it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was very angry this was toward God and um, angry this word angry in Hebrew means to be hot or incensed it means to be furious and I cannot imagine 
feeling that way toward God. I, 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 just, I just can't. Um, he's our creator. How could we ever feel that way? I mean, you know, we get upset when things don't go our way sometimes, but I can't imagine feeling like Jonah did. God forbid that I ever get to that point. But um, I, I, I just I can't imagine feeling that way towards him. And then in verses 2 and 3, um, it says, And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take I, take, I beseech thee, my life from me. It is better for me to die than to live. He was pretty upset. And Yeah. Could be. I mean, it's, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, he, suicidal. And <laughs> I mean, in, to, in today's society, you know, he, Elijah all over again, just in a different context. Yeah, he sounds a little bit like a, a spoiled child, and um, today, uh, if, if if he was two years old, you know, his behavior might be acceptable. Um, but you think about it. I mean, he he knew in his heart he was displeased with the Lord. And he acknowledged that, mm-hmm. and that is, you know, whatever that bitterness or that angry anger that separates us from His presence. I mean, that's enough to me to make me say, "Take my life," mm-hmm. right? I mean, at least he acknowledged it. Like, oh. I don't want to live apart from you. I don't want to live yeah. with this. But then he also confesses about God's mercy and His grace and His mm-hmm. kindness. So, dude, I mean, God does <laughs> what you preach, <laughs> right? Uh huh. Yeah. Well, and Nancy, can I say one more thing about that? I mean, it. I mean, I know it's hard to imagine because we're not in that environment quite like he was. I mean, so there's there's much to it, and I'm sure you studied it. Um, if if you're in a situation, I mean, let's take for example, you're you're in a family that's totally dysfunctional, and your dad's a murderer, and your your mom's this or that and the other. I mean, you. It can be very easy to maybe go this way, but in the midst of all of that, like Monica was just revealing, though, is he was learning. I mean, you see him up and down like like Jeremiah. He's on the mm-hmm. mountaintop. He's down in the valley. He's in the middle. Um, all of that was part of his training mm-hmm. as the word of the Lord was being released to him. I mean, I, we, we would think, well, why are you even releasing the word to him at all, God? You know he's going to act this way, but he still chose to... Release the word of the Lord, knowing, <laughs> knowing that he was going to be very angry, knowing mm-hmm. all this in advance. So when God says he is not a man, that he would lie or react the way we do, I mean, he really, <laughs> we can all be grateful um, for that. Um, yeah. You have to wonder, was this about Nineveh or was it about Jonah? Yeah. I mean, God Probably. takes us through the paces. Yeah. He gets us where it's at. And he knew where Jonah was at. Yeah. You know. I mean, it could have been both. Could be both. Could have been for both. It's probably all of the above and more. <laughs> but we always make this. I'm sorry, Dennis. We always make this story about Nineveh, though. Yeah. You know what I mean? But we know how God deals with His sons. Well, it gets even funnier. 
um, I say funny. Um, so he, he goes, Jonah goes out of the city after, you know, they've repented and, or he's preached to them. He goes out of the city, he makes a hut to sit under, and he's going to wait there to see what would become of Nineveh. And so, um, so then God, he, God prepares a gourd um, for Jonah to sit under t- or to, to kind of cover Jonah from the sun and the heat. Um, or it says to, he, he prepares a gourd to shadow Jonah. And then the next morning, a worm comes and smites the gourd. So Jonah gets angry. And he says he would rather die with the gourd. <laughs> Die with the gourd. So it, it sounds like he was pretty bitter um, that God would show grace and mercy to Nineveh. And so he's sitting under this hut watching to see if they're really going to repent. And, um, and I think, you know, the gourd was, well, I, I feel sure the gourd was an object lesson for Jonah. God was getting, trying to get him to understand um, understand something in Jonah verse uh, f- chapter 4 verse 10 says then said the Lord thou hast had pity on the gourd for which thou hast not labored neither madest it grow which came up in the night in, or in a night and perished in a night and should I not spare Nineveh that great city wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand and also much cattle. I didn't quite understand that, and also much cattle. But um, we don't know what Jonah's response was to God because that was the end of the book. Um, So we don't know what his response was, but um, I'm sure, you know. Yeah, it was 120,000 people, for one thing. Yeah, it's a lot of people. Yeah, haven't we all known people who have been saved by grace and still not forgiven their brother? Yes. God had something to say about that through Christ, didn't he? If you won't forgive them, I won't forgive you. Mm-hmm. And um, <coughs> that's, but Jonah's is an example of that kind of thinking and, mm-hmm. uh, and hatred in his heart because he wasn't forgiving God, but he wasn't forgiving the people of Nineveh either. Yeah. And so there's there's plenty of people who have been forgiven and still point fingers at somebody else. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just another object lesson that God has put in the Old Testament. Yeah, that's a good point. But um, going back to chapter 1 of Jonah... I hadn't noticed this before in, in reading Jonah in the past, but um, notice at the beginning of the storm, each man cried unto his own God, and in verse 6, they tell Jonah to call upon his God, and then by the end of the passage, they themselves cried out to the Lord, the Lord God, and in Verses 14 through 16, they, it says, We beseech thee, O Lord, Yahweh, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not upon us innocent blood, for thou, O Lord, hast done it as it pleased thee. So they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea, and 
the sea ceased from her raging. Then the men feared, the men who were in the boat, feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. So, so that's when vows were invented. I guess so. <laughs> so these men found the true God really quickly and even offered a sacrifice and made vows to him. And I, I thought I was thinking as I was reading through the story of Jonah, if the twins were here, I would have them sing their, uh, some of their songs from their little program at school a couple of years ago. Um, really cute. But um, I wish they were here to do that. But, um, and then lastly, um, I want us to look at e eternal separation from God's presence, doom for worshipers of the beast. And this comes from Revelation 14, <clears throat> beginning with verse 9. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image, and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his, of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night who worship the beast and his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Right, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. So those who worship the beast and receive the mark of his name are eternally separated from God. And... If this isn't torment enough, they're further tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb, which is Jesus. And so for eternity, they will never have that privilege again of partnership with God in His ways and because that opportunity for them is forever lost and there won't be any turning back then. <clears throat> Cain, after being driven from the Lord's presence, said it was more than he could bear. And um, how much more unbearable will it be for those who choose to worship the beast and be eternally separated from the presence of God, from his invitation to partner with his will and his plan? So then going back to Psalm 51, David's repentance included a godly sorrow for his sin and he was restored to God's presence. And then the last scripture is 2 Corinthians 7.10. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. So that concludes my teaching. Does anybody have any comments? If not, then um, I'll ask Dennis to come.
Thank you, Nancy. Anything at all? Questions, comments? Lots of discussion today. It's been good. I do have one thing that I was going to share, but I, I skipped right over it. Um, talking about Enoch, at the end of last fall's seminar, several of us were at lunch. Debbie might remember, Dennis and Tammy might remember. We were at lunch, and the twins were there, and they were asking, giving us riddles to solve. Ah. And so I gave them one. And I th that riddle was, who was the oldest man who ever lived, but he died before his father? And so they, they thought and thought and thought. But the answer is Enoch, or Methuselah. Methuselah was the oldest man who ever lived, but he died before his father, Enoch, because Enoch never died. So if the twins ask you if they remember that, <laughs> you'll know the answer. Anyway. Good, Thank you. Mm -hmm. uh, next Sunday, uh, Katie will be here. She will be teaching.